Let's take your seats. Well, my name is Lauren. For those of you that I haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, I hope that day comes soon. And I'm one of the pastors here at our church, one of the um, people on our team. And uh, can I just say, wasn't that great this morning? Did anyone else notice that that was Mel's first time leading us this morning in worship? Let's thank her. She did a great job. This morning we had a quick chat as we both compared nerves and I uh, said to her, just remember that everyone sitting there is thinking, I could never do that. Isn't that right? And so here she is boldly just worshipping and allowing us entering into the presence of God and uh, never take that for granted. Thank you for your courage. It's awesome. So as I say, I'm a pastor here and one of my uh, heading into the next season, I get to be the privilege of being part of the team here at Malaloo. So um, this is where uh, this will be my campus home, if you like, and uh, I feel privileged when we are on staff because we get to see that connection between the two campuses, and I uh, hope that you're excited for the season ahead because it's going to be one you need to strap in for, and uh, we get to do that together. This morning, I'm going to speak to you out of Luke, and uh, I'm going to talk about John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is a uh, character we read of in the Gospels of Jesus. He came to prepare the way for Jesus. And it was probably about, well, maybe it was six weeks ago now. Do you remember when we did the uh, Jesus Stories um, series? Do you remember that? I think the first week Phil spoke and he kind of made a throwaway comment and said, you know, if you haven't read a gospel for a while, maybe just open up one of the gospels and start reading. And I took that on board because I realised, you know what, actually I haven't read through one of the gospels for a while. I was uh, doing a bit of Old Testament reading and in Psalms and other places. So I thought I'm going to stop what I'm doing and, and I started to read. And I actually was reading in Mark, not Luke, but... I got stopped right in my tracks in the first chapter as I started to read about John the Baptist. And I'd also been seeking God and praying about our, our, our hospitality teams on a Sunday. I oversee our hospitality teams on Sunday mornings and uh, just asking him to help me get a greater revelation too of the importance of what we do. And then enters John the Baptist. And I started to read in Mark and I realised the enormity of this man who whose whole existence was to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. And I got this picture of our teams here on a Sunday morning, our, our service teams and our welcome teams and our cafe teams and even our volunteer lounge and realised we get to prepare the way for people to encounter Jesus on a Sunday. And it just floored me, just that, that comparison, that reality of like, here's, I just thought there's really not much greater that we could do in life, is there? And so then as Dean asked me to prepare a message for this morning, I, I kind of thought, you know what, I'm going to mine that for a bit more of its treasure. Because I just thought that really stuck with me for a long time and uh, really kind of fueled me for a long, you know, kind of lots of my thoughts and my thinking. So this morning I'm going to share with you about John the Baptist, but I'm not going to um, share with you from Mark. We're going to read from Luke. And I'm going to read from the message this morning because I really feel that it captures, uh, it paints a picture of this story in a way that I hope will connect with your heart um, this morning. So a bit of background on John the Baptist if you're not familiar with him. He is this character that enters into the gospel story, as I said, preparing the way for Jesus. So now when John the Baptist came about, um, he came almost in a prophetic-like way. But at that time, the prophets had been quiet in the people of God for about 400 years. So in essence, God had felt very silent. There was a big, long pause, if you like. So John the Baptist comes almost in a prophetic sense. And uh, there's stories you can read in the beginning of the Gospels where he's, um, 
His father, Zachariah, is told by an angel of, his, um, of, of John's impending birth and he doesn't quite believe him and he goes mute until the birth of his son. It's quite a fascinating story. And then there's another story where uh, Elizabeth, John's mum, is pregnant and he's in her womb and then Mary, the mother of Jesus, who they were cousins, um, came and as he heard the voice of his mother, the Messiah's mother, John leaps within his mother's womb. So there's a real sense of importance from the very beginning that actually God has got something to say to us through John the Baptist. So that's where we pick up this morning. And you know, John the Baptist isn't because he was a Baptist by denomination, just in case you think that. Because we think of a Baptist these days is like, you know, it's a church, there's Baptist churches. But you know, John the Baptist was called John the Baptist because he was known for baptising. So he, was, he, used to, he would baptise people in the Jordan River and so that's where John the Baptist came from. Just in case you thought that we're here talking about John the Baptist here in Church of Christ, you know, if that's even allowed, but it is allowed. So, uh, so this morning what I want to do is I want us to look at the life with this particular passage in Luke of John the Baptist and I want us to ask ourselves the question, what would it look like for your life, for my life, to prepare the way for people to encounter Jesus? That's the question I want you to have ringing in your ears this morning as we share. So let's open the word in uh, Luke chapter 3. And we're going to start in the first verse. In the 15th year of the rule of Caesar Tiberius, it was while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, ruler of Galilee, his brother Philip, ruler of Ituria, and Traconitus, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the chief priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, John, Zachariah's son, out in the desert at the time, received a message from God. He went through all the country around the Jordan River, preaching a baptism of life change, leading to forgiveness of sins, as described in the words of Isaiah the prophet. Thunder in the desert, prepare God's arrival, make the road smooth and straight. Every ditch will be filled in, every bump smoothed out, the detours straightened out, all the ruts paved over. Everyone will be there to see the parade of God's salvation. And we're going to stop just there to start with. Here, straight away, we have a picture of John the Baptist making the road smooth and straight that people could encounter Jesus. Now, I mentioned earlier that there'd been a, a period of silence for the, for the Jewish people, for the Israelites. You know, there's 400 years silence. God hadn't spoken and so part of why John the Baptist, I think, was necessary was that the conversation needed to be reframed before Jesus came into the picture. You know, God's people were anticipating a Messiah. They were anticipating a, uh, the, the salvation to come through this Messiah. But as you read about Israel and you, you understand some of where the Jewish people were at, they were expecting this Messiah would come with a sense of military conquering, that he'd be a military hero, that he would come and he'd overthrow the Roman Empire and that they would, be, um, they would reign once again. But we know, because we know the story further on, that actually that wasn't the case for Jesus. So here I see John the Baptist's call to make the road straight, to smooth out the path, to reframe the conversation of what God's plans were. Here we had a people who thought God was going to come and bring the Messiah and bring salvation in a certain way, but actually it was going to happen this way. So John comes to make that road straight. You know, I think of ourselves in the context we have. People all around us have an expectation of who they think God is. They have an expectation of what they think God will do. 
And I can't help but wonder if God's inviting us to think about how we could make the road smooth and straight so they could begin to reframe that conversation around what God's doing. You know, as I think around people in my own life and I'm sure in yours, often there's, I feel like there's probably one of two pictures of God that people have. One is this idea of a God who will serve my own self-interest. He'll give me quick fixes to my life's problems. He'll keep me entertained and numb to the pain of my life. And he'll add to my comfort and my luxuries. There's this idea of this simple, easy God. But on the flip side of that, I also think people have a picture of a God who just judges and punishes. A God who isn't safe, who promotes hate, who's more interested in behaviour than in heart. So here we have an opportunity to begin to reframe that conversation, don't we? Because neither of those pictures are the God that I've come to know and come to love and who's invited me to join him. So the question is for us, if we are going to have the courage that John the Baptist had to live like he did and make roads smooth and straight for others to receive God, to encounter Jesus You know, I can't help but wonder if making that road smooth is actually going to look a little bit like having the courage to live fully engaged in life. As we think about people wanting to just uh, kind of be numb to the reality of life, you know, just kind of be entertained through life. We're given the opportunity to actually enter into life in its fullness, into the fullness of its pain, the fullness of its beauty, the fullness of everything in between. You know, we live in a society that values entertainment above real issues, that sees connection as social media, that sees wealth as happiness. So how can we enter that conversation and begin to make paths smooth and straight so that others might encounter Jesus? I can't help but wonder if it's going to look a lot like having the courage to actually live life with eyes open, to feel the reality of actually all that life brings. You know, when I first became a Christian, I was 15 at the time and hadn't, didn't have much of a framework of God. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So God for me was quite a revelation and uh, was, um, was quite a, an interesting journey for me those first few years. You know, I'd had quite a challenging kind of childhood. And, uh, but to be honest with you, I hadn't really seen it as that. You know, I'd had times in my teenage years where I remember other parents would make, say comments. I suppose they felt sorry for me. But I couldn't understand what they felt sorry for. Because you know when your life is just your life? You kind of don't quite understand. I remember one mum saying something to her daughter about me and I was like, oh, I'm not really sure what that's about. But anyway, and putting it to the side. But you know, when I became a Christian, for the first few years of my life as a Christian, I feel like I came full force, smack bang, to the reality of actually where my life was at and what my life was. And that was actually incredibly painful. That actually wasn't... a yay, happy, kind of wonderful, exciting experience for me. That actually meant a lot of tears. It actually meant a lot of heartache. And it actually meant a lot of counselling, if I'm honest with you. But it was an amazing experience for me as I felt God call me into this space where actually I could feel alive. And I could actually feel the rawness at times, but the reality of what life had been actually felt invigorating in its own way. And it took courage to then be willing to walk through some of the reality of that. But the call I felt was almost this call to life, not to live numb to life. Now, as I look back over some of my teenage years, I spent a lot of my teenage years asleep. And I know that sounds really silly, but I think that was my coping mechanism. My favourite thing in life as a 13-year-old was actually my doona. 
<laughs> it felt really safe and cosy and warm. And I think I had actually decided that actually the way I was going to kind of fly below the radar and get through life was just by kind of keeping myself safe and secure. And I'm sure there's plenty of you that understand that, that thinking. So for me, to become a Christian and find Jesus and then actually feel him calling me out into the kind of mess of life felt a little unnerving. But can I tell you, he's never stopped doing that. He continues to call me out into that space again and again. You know, even this morning as I had my breakfast, I sat on my um, table and it was wild and woolly outside and I sat at my breakfast table and I had my cup of tea and my toast and I love just sitting in a quiet space and looking out the window. I just find that really kind of peaceful and I find a lot of contentment in that space. But I chuckled to myself again as I thought, how funny, I'm the person, I love looking out the window. I love being in my warm, cosy space and seeing the wild, woolly weather. And I smiled to myself as again I felt God just reminds me, yeah, and I call you out to the wild. That's where I call you. It's great that you're in here and you're comfortable, but actually where I call you is beyond this space. But I also felt him remind me, but I call you from a place of rest. I didn't hear him condemning me saying, you know, get out of your safe, cosy space, but it, just, it was a call to the wild, if you like. And I think that's what God is talking about here when we see this picture of John the Baptist making the road smooth and straight. I think God's asking of us, will we live life in such a way that actually our life then makes that road smooth and straight for others? Because as we live in the fullness of life, as we dare to engage in life in its fullness, we actually invite others to follow along. I almost see it a little bit like Alice in Wonderland. You know that, if you know that story, you know, Alice follows the, it's a rabbit, isn't it, down the hole? And then life just gets curiouser and curiouser. And I think that's a bit, for me, what my experience of following God has been like, is you kind of, you get this sniff of something and you kind of follow this rabbit down a hole and you don't know what you've actually fallen into. But it's actually a wonderful adventure that you make sense of along the way and you wouldn't have it any other way. I think sometimes in my mind I picture it being a little bit more kind of sedate and contained and, you know, a bit more like a, a mission from God. But actually it's far more of an adventure than that. And I think as we enter that adventure in its fullness, as we are willing to feel the joy, the beauty, the pain, the challenge that life throws our way, I actually think we begin to make a smooth road that others can follow along. And I can't help but wonder this morning, through this passage with John the Baptist, if that's not what God's inviting us to. So let's go back to the scripture. Let's go back to Luke chapter 3 and uh, verse 7. And you will need to strap in for this one. John does not pull any punches. He says, When the crowds of people came out for baptism, because it was the popular thing to do, John exploded. Brood of snakes, what do you think you're doing, slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snake skins is going to deflect God's judgment? It's your life that must change, not your skin. And don't, you, don't think you can pull rank by claiming Abraham as father. Being a child of Abraham is neither here nor there. Children of Abraham are a dime a dozen. God can make children from stones if he wants. What counts is your life. Is it green and blossoming? Because if it's dead wood, it goes on the fire. The crowd asked him, then what are we supposed to do? If you have two coats, give one away, he said. Do the same with your food. Taxmen also came to be baptised and said, Teacher, what should we do? And he told them, No more extortion. Collect only what is required by law. Then the soldiers asked him, And what should we do? And he told them, No shakedowns, no blackmail, and be content with your rations. So as we move on in this particular passage, here John is now talking very clearly, very bluntly, 
about the need for repentance. They're in need for life change. You know, he calls people, he invites people to this place of repentance and forgiveness. And what I love about it as the story goes on is that he doesn't separate their faith journey from the rest of their lives. He actually challenges people in this particular passage that their pursuit of God should impact the reality of their life. You know, the Jewish people obviously seem to be finding their identity by being in the right club, by saying, you know, Abraham is our father, it says, by getting things right. But John challenges them here to take true stock of their life and to look at the impact it's having on others. You know, he calls his call to prepare the way for Jesus, continues to reframe the conversation by laying a foundation based on truth and the need for change, the need for integrity. And, you know, repentance isn't the same as feeling guilty or embarrassed. You know, repentance can be defined as feeling such sorrow for our sin or our fault as to be disposed to change one's life for the better. Sin is not just about knowing the categories for right and wrong. Did I pass? Did I fail? Am I in the right space? Am I in the wrong space? It's actually about understanding the ways we fall short for God's plan for us, the way we fall short for God's design for you and for me. Repentance is a willingness to own our shortcomings and to look at the impact it's, they're having on other people. You know, I love this picture as the crowd's gathering around John. The crowd comes, they've heard him kind of pull no punch and kind of say, you brood of snakes, you know, he kind of lays it out there. And so the crowd comes and says, well, what are we to do? Like, we hear what you're saying, we acknowledge that it might be true. What are we to do? And I love that John invites this crowd of people who he identifies their self-absorption and he welcomes them, he invites them towards a space of generosity. He says, if you've got two coats, two coats, share it. And do the same with your food. He says, take those eyes which are focused firmly on you and actually take them and look on others. You know, then the tax men came and they say, well, what are we to do? And again, John identifies the reality that they're abusing their power. He invites them to live justly. He says, do what's right in this space. Live with integrity. And then the soldier comes along. He identifies that, you're, that they are forcing, they're coercing people They're abusing their power again to get money through people. And John calls them to be content with their own rations, content with what they have. So I can't help but wonder if this picture of repentance and then living a life of integrity are like two sides of the same coin. And I love this picture that John paints that actually this could be a way that we also prepare a way for Jesus in others that they could encounter him. You know, repentance... And integrity both require courage because it's one thing to see where you're at. It's one thing to have someone pointed out, but then it's another to actually take action. And here, this is what John's talking about, this idea of forgiveness of sin and then this idea that life change comes from that place. Repentance leads to a change. But I find it interesting in this passage that John doesn't tell the taxman, he doesn't tell the soldier to leave their job. He doesn't say, get out of those corrupt uh, vocations. He says, live with integrity within them. He tells him how to live with integrity and to to make a change so that others would see that there's actually a difference in the way they're acting. You know, preparing the way for others to encounter Jesus may just require us to model repentance and integrity and for that to be an invitation for others to find Jesus. 
You know, I can't think of any other place where this is more obvious than in our role as parents. Because so often how we deal with our own mistakes, how we deal with our own shortcomings, whether we like it or not, is modelling to our children how they think God will deal with them at that space. You know, we, we are all familiar of the spaces as parents where we fall short, where we do the wrong thing, where we're so aware that we're, uh, you know, kind of... Cha- you, sometimes I feel like the line between, like, you know, challenging my children towards a, a life of resilience and actually, like, heading them down a path of, like, therapy feels like a hair, don't you think? And I feel like half the time it's a gamble. I'm not really sure which side this is going to land right now. But I think in this particular area, how we own our mistakes how we own even life change within our own lives, models to our children and gives them a picture that I pray would actually help them encounter Jesus. You know, do you find it easy to say sorry? Sorry can be a really hard word to say. It's a small word. It's really easy to say when you don't mean it when in, the, in, in, in any conversation. But when you genuinely need to say sorry, how easy does that come? Does it kind of get stuck about here? And everything in you knows you want to say sorry, but actually... Knowing how to say that can be so challenging. But what a powerful picture as adults to be able to acknowledge and apologise to children when we've, met, when we've messed up. To own the fact that, you know what, I've actually got that wrong and I can see that that impacted you. And to allow them to see, a, to, to see that repentance modelled, to see a life change model, to acknowledge actually I got it wrong and I'm going to change my path. I'm going to change what I had decided. That's a big one. You know, the phrase in our house, which kind of rings a bit, gets a bit overused now, is like, Mummy, I have a different idea. Because <laughs> that was very early on. I've got very strong-willed children. So rather than just feel like it's a free-for-all of an argument, I decided I needed to reframe this conversation a bit. So whenever I hear them say that, I have to... Everything in me is still kind of, like, riled up. But I'm like, hey, I have to listen right now. Mummy, I have a different idea. Yes. And they give their different idea. And sometimes, just so they know that what you know, the path they've chosen was right, I will change what I decided. Especially for something that doesn't matter. Because I just want them to know, do you know what? The fact that you have the courage to say that you have a different idea, the fact that you have the courage to put forward a different thought, actually, I want you to know that there's a space for that here, that you're valuable. And I think it's the same when you say sorry. It shows them that actually there's nothing wrong with saying sorry. There's nothing wrong with admitting that you've made a mistake and be willing to change. And this morning, as we think about John the Baptist and this passage in particular, I can't help but think if that's not preparing the way that someone else might encounter Jesus. When you can come and say sorry for something that you needed to say sorry for, when you can be courageous enough to change behaviour and live in a life of integrity, I can't help but wonder of those who don't know Jesus and if that might just well help prepare the way for when Jesus comes that they'd be able to receive him. So let's go back to our passage in Luke chapter 3. We're up to verse 15 now. The interest of the people by now was building. They were all beginning to wonder, could this John be the Messiah? But John intervened. I'm baptising you here in the river, but the main character in this drama, to whom I'm a mere stagehand, will ignite the kingdom life, a fire, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. He's going to clean house He's going to make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God. Everything false he'll put out with the trash to be burned. And we'll leave it there. So here again we have John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. Understanding and knowing his place in Jesus' story. 
I love that picture of John saying, I'm just a mere stagehand. The real main character of this story is Jesus. He's the one to come. He comes bringing the fire. He brings the gusto, if you like. And I thought it's so important for us, if we're going to, if our lives are going to prepare the way for others to encounter Jesus, then we must know our place in his story. For some of us, that means not getting ahead of ourselves, not running ahead of God, thinking that we bring the change, that we bring the fire, that we bring dot, 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 dot. For others, it actually also means having the courage to know that you have a place in Jesus' story, that you have a part to play. You might feel like a stagehand at times, but here's this picture of a man of humility, understanding, do you know what? If I get to be the stagehand in this drama, there would be no greater privilege, no greater joy. And I love the thought of capturing that heart that just understands that actually, do you know what? Jesus, he is the main deal here. He is the one whom I get to just lay a little bit of a a road for. I get to prepare the way for. And this is a picture I love about John the Baptist, that he knew his place and he was good with that. You know, his place in particular was out in the desert. You know, in other passages you read about John the Baptist, it talks about how he lived out in the desert and he was known for his, uh, his camel hair kind of jacket and he eat, eating of the locusts and honey. And, you know, he's a very interesting, eclectic character. But he was comfortable in his place in the story. He wasn't trying to impress anyone. He didn't feel like he needed to go around countrysides doing what he thought Jesus was going to do. He just did what he knew he needed to do in order to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. What's it going to look like for our lives to clearly show that Jesus is the main character of this story, that Jesus is the main character in the story of our church? What's that going to look like? You know, I uh, had a great uh, moment in the car during the week. We had um, Miller, my boy who's nine, had one of his friends over and we were driving in the car and I love little kids' conversations. It always um, encourages me and I hear this kind of sigh in the back and I kind of turned and Miller's friend goes I wonder what my passion is and I was like oh okay we're going to go there and uh I was like oh do you mean like your passion in life is like yeah I just I just wonder what my passion in life's going to be and I said well you know it's a little bit like finding treasure I said it's a bit like a treasure hunt you know I just wanted him to not feel stressed I was like I'm thinking I'm like 38 and I feel like I'm still working that out so I just said, you know, and, and, Miller, and I said to Miller, Miller's like, yeah, yeah, oh, I know what my passion is. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. It's like, well, what's your passion, Miller? And he was like, oh, my passion is to explore. And he's not kidding. And uh, he's like, my passion, yep, is just to explore. And uh, Miller's friend answered very cutely, well, I know my passion's not to explore because I tried that and I nearly got bitten by a snake. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny. But I loved this little conversation about these two boys already understanding, actually, there's something I'm here for. And I wanted Miller's friend not to be frustrated by the fact that he didn't know, but more wanting him to go, do you know what? Embrace that. Like, it's a, it's a hunt. It's a treasure hunt. Like, go digging, look, explore, work out what is the part you're meant to play. Because it's a part that you're going to play in this story that Jesus has that no one else can play. No one else can play your part. And let's not get confused. It's not the main character. We're not the poster of the, of, this, of the play. But yet there's a part in this story, in this drama, the greatest drama of all humanity, that you get to play. And we need to get busy sometimes working that out. 
not get lazy and just think we can kind of just rock up and do our thing, but actually seek God and find out what is it? What is the part you get to play? You know, God wants you to play your part in his redemptive purposes. And he needs us to understand our part in that, that we don't bring the fire, we don't bring the change, but we get the privilege of making a path, preparing a way that others might come to encounter Jesus. You know, I'm going to ask the team to come and join, a, join me on the stage now. And I want to go back to that question we started with at the beginning. What will it look like for our lives to prepare the way for people to encounter Jesus? What will it look like? You know, as I read this passage and I looked at John the Baptist, I couldn't help but wonder if it looked like making roads smooth and straight for people. I couldn't help but wonder if it looked like modelling repentance, integrity and life change first. And also if it looked like knowing my place, you knowing your place in God's story. Why don't you stand with me and I'm going to pray for us this morning. You know, my prayer this morning is that you would feel invited to join Jesus in this story, that you would recognise that you have a part to play, that you'd also recognise that there are others waiting for you to prepare that way that they might encounter Jesus. There's a part that only you can play. So let me pray for us this morning. Father, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for this reminder that you invite us to partner with you. Father, that you ask us to help prepare the way so that others might encounter you too. Father, I pray this morning as we uh, think about our own lives, Lord, and we think about what that might look like. Father, I pray that you would help us have the courage that's needed to live life in such a way that others would be drawn to you. Father, we thank you that you invite us to be a part of this story. Father, I thank you that your story in each of us can be loud, can shine bright. And Lord, we pray that each of our lives would ultimately invite others to a closer relationship with you. So Lord, I thank you that you're at work. I thank you that you ask us to partner with you and Lord, I pray that you'd continue to do a work in each one of our lives, that others would come to know you also. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.